Well, let's read the Bible together now. We're going to turn to Exodus, and then we're going to turn over to Luke's Gospel. Uh, We're going to read just one verse from Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments, the Eighth Commandment, uh, the one that we're going to be thinking about tonight. You'll find Exodus 20 on page 61 of the Pew Bibles, page 61. And we're reading the Eighth Commandment this evening together. And it's verse 15 of Exodus chapter 20, page 61. Uh, Just four simple words, but this is God's word to us. The eighth commandment, as it's found in Exodus 20, verse 15, is you shall not steal. You shall not steal. And then we're turning over to the New Testament as well, over to Luke chapter 23. Uh, You'll find that passage on page 884 of the Pew Bibles, page 884. And we're going to read Luke's account of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. So this is Luke 23. We're going to pick up the reading at verse 26. And we're going to read down to verse 43. So Luke 23, 26 to 43. And it's page 884 in your pew Bibles. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Let's pray together before we think about the Bible. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for your law, and we thank you for all that we've learned over these recent weeks as we've thought through the Ten Commandments, and we pray tonight that as we think about the Eighth Commandment, you would come by your Spirit and speak to all of us, that you would help us to understand it, to apply it to our situation, our context, but most importantly, that you would point us to our perfect Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. 
Amen. Well, this evening we're thinking about the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. You'll find it on page 61 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, We'll also be turning over to Luke 23 towards the end of our time together, and you'll find that on page 884 of the Pew Bibles as well. Uh, After finding ourselves deeply convicted by the earlier commandments, uh, my guess is that our initial approach to the eighth commandment is to think, yes, finally one that I have kept. Finally, one that I have kept. In a survey conducted several years ago, 86% of adults claimed that they completely satisfied God's requirement on this commandment. In other words, 86% of people surveyed said that they had kept the eighth commandment perfectly. They had never broken it. You, you shall not steal is a good word for thieves and for robbers, but it doesn't have much to say to ordinary people, or does it? Uh, There's a famous painting by a man called Norman Rockwell that helps us to understand the relevance and abiding application to us of the Eighth Commandment. The picture's going to come up on the screen for us just now. It's of a woman buying a turkey or a chicken. Uh, The bird is being weighed on the scale and the lady's looking at the scale. On the other side is the butcher and he's also looking at the scale. What neither of them are seeing, though, is what the other person is doing. I wonder, can you see it? It's quite subtle. The butcher is pressing the scale down with a finger to raise the price. And at the same time, the lady is trying to get a better deal by pushing the scale up with one of her fingers. Very subtle. Uh, The the, the painting originated in America and in some ways represents a charming scene from ordinary American life. But the deeper underlying point of the painting is of how society in general turns a blind eye to this kind of behavior. The butcher and the lady would resent being called thieves. If you met them in the street and you said, you're a thief, they would really resent that. The lady would never rob a bank or steal a car. The butcher would be furious if anyone accused him of stealing. But neither of them see anything wrong with a little deception that will mean that they either save some money or make a little extra money. Neither of them think that pushing the margin in their favor It is all that wrong. But both the lady and the butcher are violating the eighth commandment. Both of them are stealing. Yet the thinking of our culture is so muddled on this issue of stealing. And nowadays you might you might hear someone someone say something like this. I I don't I wouldn't feel right about taking money from say my sister's purse, a family member's wallet, but I don't think that it's that wrong to steal from an institution. After all, they have so much money, they'll never miss it. They can afford it, and I'm not really hurting anyone. And that thinking is illustrated by one hotel's report that in its first year of business, it had to replace 38,000 spoons, 18,000 tiles, 355 coffee pots, and 100 Bibles. Now, who steals a Bible? Did did, did you also know that there's been an increase in shoplifting within uh, within our society in the past year? Uh, The Office for National Statistics reported in October that shoplifting offences recorded by the police had risen by 25% compared to the previous year. Uh, The co-op said that its food business lost £33 million in the first six months of 2023 because of theft. In his novel, Oliver Twist, Charles Dickens created a character known as the Artful Dodger. He was, among other things, a master pickpocket, an expert at dodging the London bobbies who were constantly on his trail. Judging by 
by the statistics and things we've just mentioned, it would seem legitimate to suggest that we are, we are a society of dodgers. Men and women are increasingly skillful at providing reasons for taking what is not theirs and dodging God's eighth commandment. And the thing is, Christians steal as well. We should never use the commandments to berate how bad things have become in society. Society is ignoring the commandments, and we heard it midweek on Wednesday night, that by ignoring God's big ten, society is coming up with a thousand other laws and rules to replace them. But we should never use the commandments to complain about society without, first of all, applying them to ourselves and to our own hearts. And that's what we're going to try and do tonight with this eighth commandment. The plan this evening is to talk you through two principles that stand behind the Eighth Commandment. Then we're going to talk more practically about how far-reaching the commandment is. And after that, we'll think about what Jesus has said and taught about this commandment. So that's where we're going tonight. Hopefully it'll tie together. This is one of those commandments that's slightly more difficult to talk about and explain. You could perhaps pray in your pew now that what we're going to think about, what we're going to talk about would help you understand the Eighth Commandment more deeply and uh, that, you'd help, uh, that, 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 that you would know what it means, uh, you shall not steal. So let's start with the principles that stand behind this commandment. There are two that we're going to talk through. And the first is that God establishes the individual's right to private property. God establishes the individual's right to private property. He's done that through his word. The, the, the positive implication of this commandment is that it teaches us that all that we have has been given to us by God. And we were trying to tell the boys and girls that this morning, trying to explain to them that everything that we have, everything that we own has been given to us by God. To put it another way, the commandment speaks to us about the legitimacy and dignity of possessions that have been lawfully acquired and are properly enjoyed. It's as David prays in 1 Chronicles 29, he says, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. Any attempt to diminish or deny the significance of private personal ownership fails to recognize that what we have has been given to us by God. Now, this is less common now, but for a while there was a belief that the Bible taught a form of communism. It was based on some passages in Acts that tell us that in the days of the early church, believers shared everything. Uh, the thing about those passages in Acts is that they described what happened within the early church, but what happened was not prescribed for the church throughout the ages. In other words, we're told what happened, but we're never told that the church has to do the same thing for, for the rest of time. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't forbid the right of private ownership, it establishes it. And whether money or possessions become ours as a result of inheritance, a gift, or honest hard work, we learn from the words of James that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. It's God who grants us the ability to get wealth and accumulate stuff. For that reason, when we invade others' property and steal from them, we sin against God. And the same David who spoke so clearly about the source of private property in 1 Chronicles 29 took, took something or someone that didn't belong to him. Following his dalliance with Bathsheba, David realized that in taking what did not belong to him, he had not only harmed others, but had sinned against God. He stole Bathsheba's purity, her reputation, and her husband's life. 
he eventually confessed in Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now there's something worth noticing there. It's very difficult to just break one of the commandments. When you sin, you're probably not just breaking one of the commandments. One sin inevitably leads to another. How many commandments did David break when he slept with Bathsheba? He broke the first commandment by putting God, putting himself before God. He broke the 10th commandment by coveting another man's wife. He broke the ninth commandment in hatching the plot. He broke the eighth commandment in stealing what wasn't his. He broke the seventh commandment in the act of adultery. And he broke the sixth commandment by arranging for Uriah to be killed. So that's six in total. It's very difficult to break just one commandment. That's an aside, but it, it is worth bearing in mind when we, when we read through the Ten Commandments. The, the first principle that we've noted behind the Eighth Commandment is that God establishes the individual's right to private property. So everything that we have, everything that we own, in an ultimate sense, comes from him. The second principle behind the Eighth Commandment is that the individual's right to private property is not absolute. When God placed Adam in the garden, he gave him stewardship of the rest of his creation. The garden belonged to God, and Adam was, if you like, a trustee. The psalmist tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. All the silver and gold, every beast of the forest, and the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to the Lord. Man is distinct from the rest of creation, having been made in God's image. God has given humanity the privilege of exercising stewardship over the owner's estate. And this determines and, and gives us lenses through which we view the whole process of acquiring and disposing of goods. The Christian view of economic theory comes by understanding the following. In capitalism, the money is yours to do what you want with. In socialism, the money belongs to the state and the state uses it for what the community needs. But in Christianity, the money is God's and it must be used as he directs. And failure to act in this way breaks the eighth commandment. Commenting on this commandment, John Calvin says that the purpose of, of this commandment is since injustice is an abomination to God, we should render to each man what belongs to him. We're not to steal because it offends a holy God, it disregards his law, and it devalues our neighbor. But have you really broken the eighth commandment? If you think you haven't, then you're maybe missing the variety of ways in which we can steal and the many objects we can steal. And we're not just talking about money and possessions in this commandment. We're talking about time and even a person's reputation. So we've established two principles that lie behind this commandment. God establishes the, the individual's right to private property and the individual's right to private property is not absolute. In simpler terms, everything that we have, everything that we own comes from God, but we are merely stewards of the things that he has given us and we're to use what we've been given wisely and in line with what he wants. What we're gonna do now is think about how far reaching this commandment is. How far reaching this commandment is. What the Eighth Commandment forbids is very simple, but most people fail to understand its full meaning. Uh, the Hebrew word for stealing is ganaf, and it literally means to carry something away as if by stealth. Uh, the word covers all conventional types of theft, so 
burglary, robbery, thieving, hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, but it also covers a wider range of complex thefts like embezzlement, extortion, and racketeering. To help us understand some of those things, let me give you, a, uh, give you the question and answer from an old catechism. Last week, I quoted from the Shorter Catechism. This week, I want to quote from the Heidelberg Catechism. And this is a beautifully written catechism. And question 110 asks, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? Here's the answer. It says, he forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. That's one of the most helpful things you can ever read or hear when thinking about this commandment. Such a detailed answer and points us in the direction of application. So let's just walk through it quickly. The Eighth Commandment forbids theft and robbery, but also cheating and swindling by schemes. And the Heidelberg Catechism lists some of these schemes. First of all, inaccurate measurements. It's the painting we talked about at the start, isn't it? But in our day, scales aren't used that often. Most businesses and most business transactions aren't conducted with weights and balances anymore. But there are still ways to achieve the same end. Embezzlement, stealing money from work or church, or swindling the poor because they don't know their rights. So that's inaccurate measurements. Secondly, fraudulent merchandise, selling defective goods or services. Um, I've just finished Richard Osman's fourth novel in the Thursday Murder Club series. And uh, in it, there's a character who's involved with uh, antiques and she sells fake paintings. So paintings by Banksy, Picasso and others. And uh, she makes lots of money from it. She's, she's selling all these fakes. And that's forbidden in the Eighth Commandment as well. Fraudulent merchandise. Thirdly, counterfeit money. Uh, I've had a little bit of experience with this. I think you know the story. Uh, I worked in a shop when I was younger and I once took 180 euros in fake notes. But this also includes gambling and the empty promises that exist in casinos and, and through betting. Fourthly, there's excessive interest. And this is really concerned about the level of interest money lenders charge. In the New Testament, Jesus told the parable of the talents and he encouraged putting money in the bank where you can gain interest. It seems as though Jesus wasn't completely opposed to everything related to banking, finances, or interest. And then fifthly, any other means forbidden by God. And that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? It covers cheating the state, claiming for benefits that you don't need or aren't entitled to. It covers cheating employees of their wages, not paying people enough. It covers wasting time in work, scrolling on social media when you should be working, knocking off early for poor reasons, taking sick days when you're not really sick, covers not paying the right amount of tax that you owe, covers insurance fraud, putting in claims that are exaggerated. It covers slipping hotel towels into your suitcase. Do you know the reason lamps and TVs are bolted secure in most hotels? It's to stop people from stealing them. It covers plagiarism, stealing homework, coursework, or dissertations. It covers online piracy, stealing music, movies, software, or 
using illegal streams to watch sports. Fun fact on piracy. Did you know that the most pirated movie when it, was, when, it was re- when it was released in the early 2000s was The Passion of the Christ? Something very, very wrong about that. And that isn't even covering everything. But can you imagine how different our society would be if we got a handle on some of these things? Can you imagine how differently the world would view Christians if we, as God's people, took some of those things more seriously? The thing is, the God who who sees our hearts also sees our hands. We're caught red-handed at every turn, whether our our boss or supervisor ever notices, notices us clocking off early or the hotel ever notices us sneaking out a tile or two. Not only does God see us, he knows us. We're known by him. Our behavior with regard to the property of others reveals how well we know him. Do we care that he knows us? Or do we regard him as distant and impersonal, disinterested and blind? If we do, we'll be prone to taking what isn't ours. Ultimately, everything belongs to him. We are guests in his creation, but we're prone to stealing from other guests. Do do we really need to worry about such minor offenses? That's what we might be tempted to think, that the things we've talked about are, are petty, they won't be noticed, they won't be missed. Well, just as murder and adultery are the result of a progression of lesser sins, so theft starts with small infractions, small little sins that nobody knows, notices, but grow and grow and grow into bigger ones. With all that said, we've also got to understand what Jesus said and taught about the Eighth Commandment too. We've seen how far-reaching this commandment is, but what did Jesus say and teach about the Eighth Commandment? Well, one of the clearest things that he said in relation to this commandment comes in Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, he said, "'Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth "'where moth and rust destroy "'and where thieves break in and steal, "'but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus isn't against the human impulse for treasure, to have stuff, to own things. He's against the fool who thinks that earthly treasures really satisfy or last. There's that old line about there being no trailers on the back of hearses, You can't take what you have and what you gather and what you own in this life onto the next. Do you want to be safe and secure? Do you want to have enough? Do you want mansions and palaces? Do you want to rule? Do you want to have treasure that never rusts, stock that never depreciates, and a retirement account that never loses value? Well, Jesus says, let me tell you how you can have it. Store up treasure in heaven. There's no rust or moths there. There are no downturns in the economy there. Think about what really matters. The desire for security isn't bad. The desire for possessions isn't bad. The desire for joy isn't bad. But Jesus says, don't be a fool about it. Think of that astonishing promise that we read at the beginning of our service from 1 Peter chapter 1. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Wouldn't it be exciting if you went to an event about finances and the person speaking said, I can promise you a retirement account that will never perish, never be defiled, never fade and never depreciate. Are, are you interested in something like that? Well, that's what the Bible says. And that's what God says. God says, I've, I've got that for you. It's kept in heaven for, for all who put their faith in Christ and walk with him in faith and repentance. We, we, we want to hold on to our possessions and, and have something that nobody can take away. So Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven. You get the Holy Spirit as your down payment of this unimaginably rich inheritance to come. Well, what, what a promise that is. Let's finish with more good news. Because I, I don't know about you, but when, when you get to grips with the Ten Commandments, the, the, they make you feel very exposed, don't they? There's something about the law that, that exposes us in spiritual terms. Even just reading the Ten Commandments together does that. But let's finish with good news. After all that we've talked about tonight, you might be wondering, well, what good news is there from the Eighth Commandment? Well, there was a reason that we read from Luke 23 earlier. It's page 884 in your pew Bibles. We read the Eighth Commandment, and then we read Luke's account of the crucifixion. The thing to notice is that when Jesus breathed his last, when he died on the cross and was crucified, he died between two thieves, two men who were absolute violators of the Eighth Commandment. They were robbers, they were bandits, they were rabble-rousers, and they were thieves. But one of them said this, do, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He also said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did the Lord Jesus say to him? He said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In that dying breath, Jesus gave that man a promise of an inheritance that he had perhaps foolishly wasted his whole life trying to find. In that one moment, J Jesus reoriented the thief on the cross, helping him to see that only in Jesus would he find what he was looking for. Maybe you're here tonight and you're chasing after all that the world can offer you and you have no issue in gathering the stuff you so desperately want by whatever means necessary. You, you need to realize that what you're doing is, is chasing after the wind, ch chasing after things that will, that will never give you what you want the most. And that's probably satisfaction, it's probably peace, and it's probably rest. That those things are only available through Jesus. You can't truly have those things until you know Christ. And he also offers forgiveness. Satisfaction, peace, and rest actually come once you've known his forgiveness so if you've ever broken the eighth commandment, and all of us have, then you need to go to Christ again in repentance, to repent of the things that you've never repented of,
to repent of the times when you've broken the eighth commandment, where you've tried to push the margin in your favor and fool yourself into thinking that, well, everyone does it and it doesn't really matter and no one will ever notice. Again, in repentance and for the first time in repentance and faith. Because that's how you come to know Jesus, by repenting of your sin and by turning him to faith which means trusting that he is who he says he is and looking to him as the only one who can pardon your sin. There are two principles behind the Eighth Commandment. God establishes the individual's right to private property and the individual's right to private property is not absolute. In simpler terms, everything we have and own comes from God. We're merely stewards of the things that he's given to us. And this commandment is also far-reaching. It reaches further than we realize or know. Jesus had a lot to say about it as well, but he also kept it, kept it perfectly. And in his final moments on the cross, he offered forgiveness to a thief so that all those who have ever broken the eighth commandment might have hope. As we close together tonight, let's pray in response to all that we've thought about this evening. Let's pray through the application of the Eighth Commandment together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your mercies to us are new every morning, that every gift we have and receive in this life comes from you. We thank you as well for your word which reorient us and helps us to see the error and, and folly of our ways. We confess that there are times when we worship created things rather than you, the creator. We confess that there have been times when we have stolen from others, not in a childish way by, by stealing a toy or a pen or a sweet, but, but, but in ways that have negatively affected other people and have led to others having negative opinions of Christians. Lord, forgive us for times when we've cheated others, whether it's the state or employers or businesses or friends. On a plain reading of the Eighth Commandment, we can so easily think that we've kept it perfectly or that it's one of those commandments we're doing better at. But yet your law is so far-reaching, so extensive, in that it covers every evil inclination of our hearts. In light of this commandment, we pray that you would be at work in our sin-sick hearts, that you would help us by your spirit to reject greed and selfishness, help us not to store up treasures on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. Help us to remember that whatever we gather and have in this life cannot come with us into the next. Lord, everything we have and own comes from you. We're merely stewards of the things that you've given to us. Help us to steward your gifts wisely. We think of the words of Jesus in the parable that he told in Luke 16 about the dishonest manager. Jesus says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, 
Who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, help us to be faithful in the little things. Clocking off work when we're supposed to. Working hard during working hours. Paying the right amount of tax. Not exaggerating bills or expenses. Not sneaking things away from people or companies or institutions we think won't miss them. We, we know, Lord, that one of the issues people often have with Christians is that they're not faithful in the little things and that they say one thing on a Sunday and do another thing during the week. Help us to live and apply the eighth commandment widely. And by doing so, we, we pray that you would help those around us, those who don't know Jesus, to see and view us differently. Our great God, it's, it's so convicting to work through your law, mainly because it exposes the depth and extent of our sin. Yet we thank you, praise you, bless you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in his final breaths, he held out hope to a, a robber, a bandit, a rabble rouser, a thief, a violator of the eighth commandment. How striking it is that in his dying breath, Jesus gave that man that thief, the promise of an inheritance that he had probably spent his whole life trying to find. Lord, thank you that when we put our trust in Christ, we can know that that same inheritance is ours by faith. Thank you that when we trust in Jesus, we have come to find what we're looking for in an ultimate sense. Thank you that just like the other seven commandments that we've looked at, Jesus never broke the eighth commandment. Thank you that although the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. What a savior he is. What a friend he is. Help us to run to him. Help us to trust in him and to know that in him, all of our longings this side of eternity have been satisfied. And we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.